Greetings, wine enthusiasts and job seekers. Welcome to the Wine, Work, and Passion podcast, where we go beyond wine education and help you pursue your dream job in the exciting world of wine. I'm your host, Karen Wetzel, and I've been working with wine ever since I was old enough to serve my first glass. I know from experience that being part of the wine industry means more than a career, it's a lifestyle, and I've loved every minute of it. Our mission at Wine, Work, and Passion is to help you pursue your best life in the field you love. In each episode, I'll talk with wine industry insiders and leaders who know what it takes to help you get the interview, land the job, and flourish in this amazing world of wine. Today, I'll talk to Michael Sirio, Vice President of Operations for Distinguished Vineyards and Wine Partners. Michael will share his experience and knowledge of the wine industry from a back-of-the-house perspective and talk about the many wine jobs that fall under this umbrella. Be sure to stay tuned until the end when Michael will close out the interview with actionable insights to follow this path to enter the world of wine and what it takes to land the job. And now let's get to our interview. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for joining me today. Could you please tell our audience who you are and what exactly do you do in the wine industry? I'd be happy to. Thank you, Karen. And thanks for having me on this morning. I really appreciate the opportunity. So my name is Michael Sirio, and I'm the Vice President of Operations for Distinguished Vineyards and Wine Partners. And I've been working for this company for about four months now. One thing I wanted to ask you before we get into your stories, just so people know who Distinguished Vineyards are. So you're a supplier. You have a catalog of wineries that the company represents. Can you give us a couple of names that people might know of some of the brands you represent? Sure, I'd be happy to. We like to say that we represent a collection of iconic wineries from prestigious wine regions around the world is the tagline. So some of the wineries that the names that may be familiar to your listeners would be Markham in St. Helena. McCrosty in Sonoma. We also own the Argyle Winery up in Oregon. And then some of the other brands that we represent are Doe Wines, as well as Textbook, and then Wither Hills from New Zealand. Oh, that's great. Well, I was just at Markham. I did a little visit there with some friends the other day, and it was wonderful. And actually, at uh, the Neff Valley Wine Academy, we use textbook Cabernet as one of the wines in the wine kits we send out for our WSET courses. So I'm very familiar with some of your brands. So that's great. Let's start off at the beginning, really. How did you get into the wine industry? What's your story of your wine journey, I guess, of your wine career? So I did not intend to get into the wine industry. When I first got out of college back in the 90s, I really didn't have any clear idea about what it was that I wanted to do. The economy wasn't that great at the time. And so I jumped into some restaurant work, doing a little bit of substitute teaching, even considered law school at that point, and fell into, completely by accident, the commercial baking business. Baking from lawyer to baker. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a diverse set of interests, I guess you can say. So yeah, I just fell into this role working for a company that was at the time baking the buns for McDonald's on the East Coast. So I got really interested in the sales and service side of the business initially. That was where my role was focused. But as I got deeper into it, I got really curious about how do you make bread and rolls and what's the science behind that? And so I found myself with scholarship to the American Institute of Baking. And the company agreed to pay my way 
in terms of expenses to go to Manhattan, Kansas for four months and learn how to be a baker. Wow. So yeah, I learned all about fermentation science and cereal chemistry and production management. And it was a real fantastic experience. It's a globally known organization. And there were literally people from around the world there, from Japan and Jamaica and South Africa and places you just wouldn't think. After moving on from that course, I, I came back and that's where I cut my teeth in operations. They figured I was now too knowledgeable to put back out in the field with customers. And they brought me inside and I started managing bakeries. So I did that for a few years, moved on to work in the spice business for McCormick and Company in Baltimore. And then in 1999, I moved to the West Coast with McCormick. They transferred me from Baltimore out to Salinas. And I worked there for a couple of years for McCormick on the West Coast. And then when my wife and I decided to get married, she was living in San Francisco. I'm down on the Central Coast, and she's a city girl. There was no moving south. I decided to move north, and I got a call coincidentally from a headhunter. And uh, the headhunter said, hey, I've got this role. It's with a beverage alcohol company. Turned out it was Diageo, the largest beverage alcohol company in the world. I went to work in their spirits division initially and then moved into their wine business in 2005. Long story short, when I got into the wine business, I enjoyed beverage alcohol, but when I got into the wine business, I finally felt like I had found my home. It was a business where it's very interesting and complex. There's the supply side dynamics and the demand side dynamics and sort of everything in between. Wine is such a complex compound. and You could learn everything that there is to know about wine and still you haven't learned it all. Well, there's always another vintage around the corner, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But what I really love about the wine business and what I do today is working with people. People who work in the wine business are passionate about what they do. It's a business where everyone loves to come to work. Yeah. In the opening statements of this podcast, I always say the greatest thing about working in the wine industry is that it's not just a career, it's a lifestyle. And that's really where my passion lies is that's why the podcast is to help people follow that their passion so that they can enjoy this wonderful lifestyle too. I made a note as you were talking, what I love about the whole McDonald's buns and learning about baking, you mentioned fermentation. And I would guess that when you were learning about fermenting bread and using yeast, you probably never thought it was going to apply to your future world in the wine industry, but it's such a great connection. It really is not that different really in a lot of ways. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, it is something that I rely on from time to time. I'm not a winemaker and I don't pretend to be a winemaker, but I do have an understanding, a basic understanding of fermentation science. And so I'm able to have at least somewhat educated conversations with winemakers about what they do. So yeah. Yeah. And didn't you tell me previously that you also worked for Thomas's English Muffins? We did make some English muffins, yes. <laughs> and I didn't work directly for Thomas's, but we did make some English muffins under our own brand as well as under contract. So, yeah. Oh, gotcha. That's so interesting. I loved when we first met. And like I say, that's kind of what this podcast is all about is to introduce people who are interested in the wine industry and open up their eyes to the really multiple ways to enter when you least expect it. Like there is no recipe for a set path to get in. And I always say, you never know what's around the next corner. 
and where either you'll discover something or something will discover you. And that's how your story goes. <laughs> so when you started off at the beginning, what did you discover that you really liked when you started working for Diageo? What was that moment when you went, oh, wow, this is like you said, you felt like you were home. What happened or what was that moment like? What drove that thought in your mind? The hook for me, honestly, Karen, was when I remember walking into the cellar during harvest, my first harvest, and we were fermenting Chardonnay in barrel. And it reminded me of being in a bakery. Like when you're in a bakery, and I worked in a bagel plant for a period of time, and in the morning, we always ran cinnamon raisin bagels, and the place just smelled so wonderful. So I related that immediately to the smells of the cellar with Chardonnay fermenting. And I just fell in love with that. And then it's sort of other things that you build on top of that experience, that olfactory experience that keep me interested in it. It's not just that, but it's, as I mentioned, the people and the complexity of the process to make great wine. And it's funny because the fermentation process, using the yeast, stirring the yeast back into the wine, the lees, malolactic fermentation, that does conjure up a lot of those baking bread aromas and flavors. And we talk about those autolytic flavors and aromas all the time when we teach. So that's pretty interesting. I mean, that is such a unique connection. I love that. So you've said you're on the operations side. Can you paint a picture of, because that's a pretty, it encompasses a lot of roles. Can you give us an overview of some of the roles that fall under that, or maybe what your specific role is, but then some of the things that fall under operations that might not occur to the audience? Mm -hmm. So I guess as a start, Karen, I think of it as everything from grape to bottle. I have responsibility for vineyard operations, grape growing. We either own or operate under lease about a thousand acres between Oregon and California. So we have some third parties that farm for us. So it's management of the third parties. We've got our own crews in some areas. So there's management of those crews. And so growing the grapes. Then we've got three wineries. And we also work with a couple of third parties that produce wine for us. And so it's management of that winemaking process and all of the operations that are related to that, the crush and fermentation, the maturation period, and then packaging. And within all of that, there's the quality aspect, there's the lab work. Each one of our wineries has a lab and it's they're staffed with people who are familiar with lab work, enologists typically or people who have a chemistry background, and then the packaging, and then we ship off to a warehouse that's managed by a third party, and, and then distributors come and pick the product up. So it's really everything from that grape all the way through to the bottle. And in your role, so you oversee all that, in your role, about how many people, so I would say Distinguished Vineyards, in my experience, is like a mid-sized supplier, right? They're not the big Diageo or Constellation or Gallo, but they're also not a single winery supplier either you know, in a mid-sized supplier, how many people are under your umbrella, do you think? How many employees? It's about 60 right now. Okay, that's good. And, you know, I was jotting down some of the positions that you talk about it. I mean, certainly wine production, the winemaker has to know a lot about wine, but having spent some time in a winery myself, there's a lot of positions in the winery that don't necessarily require wine knowledge per se. It's moving product from what a tank to a barrel or a barrel to a bottle, where it's not so much about the wine knowledge. Out of the 60 employees that you employ, how many of those roles require previous wine experience? 
I would say wine experience is necessary for winemakers, certainly. But I don't think that really there are any other roles within my structure where wine experience is a specific requirement. So if you think about folks who work in the vineyards, it's important for them to understand, but it's not critical for them to be hired. And I view that as a situation where they bring the functional skills that are required to do the specific job that they do, and we can educate them about the rest. And I think that it's important to teach all of our employees an appreciation for the product that we produce. So making that connection is part of building a really strong team, and a highly functioning team. But I would say winemaking is the only one in my view where it's a requirement that you have some wine experience. Exactly. Like you mentioned, you have laboratory employees. So for there, the lab experience, or at least the lab education, the chemistry and, and all that is, I would assume, is probably a lot more important than how it necessarily relates to wine because chemistry is chemistry. And that's where you can teach the wine part of it, but they have to come with some skills or knowledge or experience, but not necessarily revolving around wine. Or if you want to be what we fondly refer to as a cellar rat, not the most complimentary term, but I think some of the guys like being called that. Yeah, they you do. Know, or they come from production in some other facet, maybe having nothing to do with wine. And I like to highlight that because Again, I think it's helpful for people to understand that you can get in the wine industry with a lot of the skills. If you work for a packaging company, we need people to work on the packaging side or the bottling lines or all of that type of thing. And I think it's helpful for people to know that, yes, of course, if you have wine experience, there's jobs for you. But there's a winemaking or wine production is the same as every other kind of production all those jobs that are in any other production facility are used in the wine industry to some degree, right? Transportation and all of that. So yeah. I think that's interesting. And actually, just to pick up on that point, Karen, I've mentioned this to you in prior conversations. I think that the wine business is doing a great job right now of focusing on diversity in our business. And I think that one of the ways that we can encourage diversity is to bring folks in from businesses that are not wine, from either consumer packaged goods or even outside of other consumer packaged goods segments. And the reason for that, I think, is that it introduces a new set of ideas. And it, I think it challenges us as an industry, as a business, to do things differently, to do things better, to find ways to adapt and grow as we adapt. That's one of the great things about life and about finding a career. It's that you don't necessarily have to have all of the answers or all of the experience to get started. You can learn a lot of it. It's just what are the basics that are required? And if you have a passion for it, then go for it. When you say diversity, you're talking about diversity of experience, of ideas, but also culture, just various things beyond just the experience. But I think culture plays a lot into it. Even your geography, where you're from, and what just your life experiences, bringing that into the wine industry, I think. I mean, we see it more and more, and thank God we're seeing a big shift. And I think it's a wonderful thing. It becomes so much more inclusive and opens so many more doors for people for work, but also for people to enjoy wine because they see people like themselves working more in the industry. And I think that's just really important. You mentioned bringing in people from other areas outside of wine. And 
I'm going to ask you, you came from outside of wine. And when you started, did you feel like you could see the wine side of it with fresh eyes and maybe a, coming at it from a different point of view? And were you able to make an impact because of that? I'd say yes, absolutely. I did look at things differently. We tend to be a bit provincial in our approach to running the wine business, I think, as an industry. And we tend to think that, well, that person doesn't have wine experience, so therefore they're not qualified. But the reality is you have to find your experience somehow in some industry. And so unless there's a specific skill that's required to do the job, I'm very open to hiring folks who have experience from other industries because it does bring a different perspective. And I found that certainly there were times that I asked the embarrassing question because I didn't understand. Right. Of course. Well, that's how you learn. <laughs> it's exactly right. And if you've got the courage to do that and maybe look foolish occasionally, you learn a lot along the way. And there are some sacred cows in our industry. And I think that that's important. To, it's okay to have those here and there. But I do think also it's important for us to challenge ourselves. And a great way to do that is to bring in people with a different perspective. Yeah, I agree. I think that's great. So in your world, what would you say are the opportunities? So once you get in, let's say we mentioned you're working in a winery, you're moving wine around, you're maybe just sweeping the floors or stirring the tanks or whatever. You're doing the physical work of making wine under the tutelage of a winemaker, but what, or you're in a vineyard or you're in the supply side, whichever, what are the opportunities for advancement, do you think, under all the categories or under some of the categories that are under your umbrella? I personally think that you can go as far as your dreams will take you. I really do believe that. There are plenty of stories in our industry of folks who started out working in the cellar as a cellar rat, <laughs> as we affectionately call them. We got to come up with a new name. <laughs> No, it's not a great reference, but folks who started at the very bottom of the ladder and have worked their way all the way up to being the winemaker and have educated themselves along the way in whatever way that they needed to in order to reach that goal. And so I really do think that there's no ceiling for folks who are really motivated and have a passion for the business. But a typical sort of advancement most of the time seems to happen within the function. So if it's vineyards, perhaps it's somebody who came in as a field worker even and move their way into, say, a machine operator. and Maybe then they became a supervisor managing crews. And then next thing you know, they're off and running their own vineyard management company. There are a lot of stories about people who have done things like that. Winemaking, I think, the same. You can start in the cellar as a cellar worker and then work your way up the ladder. As long as you're learning the process and learning what you need to know as a winemaker, you can do that. I think that, again, there are some areas that are functionally very specific, very technical, and require some education. But the limit is only created by the individual, in my view. Yeah. I'm fortunate enough, having been around for as long as I have, I've met a lot of winemakers, a lot of vineyard managers. And I find sometimes you could certainly become a winemaker by going to UC Davis and getting your enology degree and all of that. And that's wonderful. And it's great. It's a great foundation. But I'm always surprised how many award-winning winemakers just came up by their bootstraps. Like you say, started just volunteering to pick wine in a vineyard or as an intern or a part-timer and got the bug and just worked really hard at it and ultimately came to be head winemakers at really some of the most prestigious wineries here in Napa and Sonoma, really around the world. 
So hands-on training, I'm a hands-on trained person myself. <laughs> and I think that that is something hard work can really pay off in this industry. Yeah. If that's the path you want to go on. So I'm going to ask you a few questions about when you're hiring somebody. And I want to know a little bit more about what qualifications you look for. So can you tell me when you're hiring, is it technical skills? Is it personal skills? A little bit of everything. How much does personality? Give me an idea of what it is. And I assume it, it varies by position, but just generally, how what do you really look for when you're talking to a prospective candidate? I look for someone who is going to fit culturally first, Karen. I think that that's always important. Culture is about behavior. And what's important to that person as an individual? What are their values? And I search for that. I search for an enthusiasm for the work and for learning. I think that that's important. And if those basics are there and they have the technical skills, then it's really an easy decision in the end. I don't rely only on technical skills, I can say for certain. Usually it's, I start with that cultural match and the attitude, I guess the, the ability to work well within teams also, because there are functionally many different teams in a winery. You've got the seller team, you've got the vineyard team, you've got the marketing group, you've got the sales group. And so all of these teams have to work well together. So the ability to communicate really well with others to work well as a part of a team, not just a functional team, but an extended team is also an important thing to me. That's interesting. As you were talking about that, it reminded me of my second job in the wine industry. So I had gotten into sales with a distributor back in Ohio and I did well, but it was a long time ago. And most of my products were things like Bartles and James and Gallo jug wines. I mean, it wasn't a very lucrative position at that time. Gallo's very different now, much more diversified. But I wanted, really wanted to work for this fine wine house in Ohio. And I had years earlier submitted a resume. It was immediately circular filed because I had no experience and I really didn't have any real wine knowledge. And about four years into, actually maybe a little longer than that, maybe eight years into my wine career with the first company, I happened to run into the owner and he says, you know, we have a position and I'd like you to come in. And I went in for an interview and the one thing he said to me, which meant so much, is he talked a lot about those things that you mentioned, the values, the enthusiasm, the hard work, the work ethic. He says, we've been watching you and we know you have all of that. What you don't have is wine knowledge for fine wine. He says, but we'll make you a deal. You teach us about sales and relationship building and work ethic, and I'll teach you about wine. And that was really the beginning of a really long career. I mean, I'd been in the business for a while, but not really to the level I was about to enter. And when you were talking about that, you were ticking off the things that you really can't teach somebody. It's very hard to teach that work ethic, that enthusiasm, that drive for learning. That You either have that or you don't. You can teach someone a skill. You can give somebody knowledge about a product. But those other things you can't teach, and they're so important. And when I help people write resumes in my coaching sessions, that's something I really, when it comes to the skill list, the little checklist everybody puts on their resume for skills, I like to put those toward the top because I think it is important for an employer to see what you're bringing to the table beyond wine knowledge or a particular credential or what have you. So I'm glad you brought those things up. I want to ask you, as a hiring manager, 60 people, 
is your hiring cycle seasonal? Yes, there is some seasonality to it. We bring in interns typically around the harvest time period, and we typically bring those interns into the vineyard management structure and the winery operations structure. And it may be someone who's out and helping sample grapes. It might be somebody to help out in the lab. I think it works two ways. One is it gives, and they're often students or people who have just graduated from UC Davis or from somewhere else where they have a degree in enology or viticulture, and they want to gain some experience. So interns, yes. We also hire a lot of temp employees around the harvest time. There's some unskilled roles that we need extra help with, and sometimes it's just moving grapes around on the crush pad, pulling hoses and the like. There's also that temp aspect. So there's the temps, there's the interns. Beyond that, there's not much more that's seasonal. Occasionally, if you need some winemaking support, you might bring in a a winemaker on a temporary basis. There are plenty of contract winemakers out there that you can bring in to give you a hand. So that's one that occasionally we may tap into. But those are the seasonal hires. When you mention interns or temps, do those jobs ever turn into permanent employment? Yes. They're trying you out. You're trying them out. Do you want to see, how? okay, does this person fit the culture? Like an audition. (laughs) It is kind of. It is in a way. And I think it works out for both parties in those instances. When you get the chance to actually watch someone work, it really gives them, everyone's passion doesn't come out in the same way. Some people, it comes out verbally. Sometimes it comes out in their facial expressions. But when you watch them doing the work and you can see how intense they are and how happy they are in it, then you know that there's something there. Right. Attention to detail and and all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that can work out definitely. And I've seen it happen both temporary employees who come in, say, working in a cellar, and they turn into a cellar worker, and they advance as their ambition dictates. And then similar with interns. That's awesome. So I think we've done a good job, and you've done a good job of really outlining some options, some possibilities, a, a big picture, if you will, painting a big picture. So before we wrap things up, though, I always like to play this little game at the end of our podcast. So I'll play the role. And my question for you is if I'm seeking a job right now under your umbrella on the operation side of the wine industry, what are a few things that I can do now? to prepare myself so that I can make my resume look attractive enough to get the interview and also maybe land an offer. So what are some action items I could do? I think to be inquisitive and to learn all that you can is important in this business. It is complex and it is interesting. So get out and learn what you can. And it's not all out of a book. So if you need to find a job somewhere as an intern or as a temp employee during harvest or otherwise, that's great be inquisitive and learn all you can. I think it's important to know what you want. Also, I think it's important to, if you want to be a winemaker, then what do winemakers need to know? And sometimes it's what's hidden. It's not necessarily just the technical stuff. Winemakers typically lead teams, some small teams and some large teams. So what sort of leadership skill do you need? So understanding what it is that you want and what do you need to get there? Set some goals for yourself. And then the last thing I'd say is network. The wine business tends to be a little bit closed in the sense that if you're not in it, then it's difficult to break in. That's very true. (laughs) Yeah, developing a network, and it really serves you in, in a couple of ways, the way that I view it. One is it connects you with people. And when those opportunities come up, then they think about you. 
you've been networking, you've been talking with them, you've been inquisitive, you've demonstrated your passion for the business, and you've wanted to learn. So it's very positive in that way. And then I think also it gives you an opportunity down the road as you're thinking about new and different ways to do things. The bigger that address book is, the more people that you've met, then the easier it is to tap into that network as a resource for answering questions and solving problems that you encounter along the way. Yeah, I think that's so important and we forget about it. And yet I feel like today it's easier, I think, to network. Even if you're outside the industry, you don't know somebody necessarily personally that's working in the industry, but there's LinkedIn, there's all kinds of social media, attend a tasting, go to a winery and have a tasting and ask questions and ask, hey, is the winemaker around? Can I say hi? I just want to pick his brain. You'd be surprised how open winemakers or production people can be. You just have to sort of ask the right questions and following people, the right people on, if you have a particular winery you're interested in, follow the winery on LinkedIn, follow the winemakers or the principals, the hiring bodies on LinkedIn and look for those opportunities. Send your resume Don't wait for a job posting. Send your resume and follow it up with either a phone call or show up at their doorstep and say, hey, I sent you a resume a couple weeks ago. I really want to talk to somebody. Can you point me in the right direction? And maybe you get a personal name of somebody that you can contact. So you have to just get out there. I think we think today with LinkedIn and Indeed and all the job boards that it has to be a posted job. I don't think that's true at all. And by the way, I did do a search before our our podcast today. I did get on Indeed and also on LinkedIn and on WineJobs, even more importantly, WineJobs.com. And all I did was type in my zip code and the, of course, now to be an intern in in a winery, you have to be where wineries are. (laughs) But I just typed in my zip code and I expanded my zip code a little bit and typed in the word intern and lots of them came up, some for harvest, some for labs. So you just have to kind of know what rocks to look under, I think. I think that's absolutely correct. Very well said. Get out there and get to know people. Ask questions. And winemakers love to talk about what they do. Absolutely. They love it. Well, don't we all? We all like someone picking our brains, right? It's fun. And of course, winemakers are particularly passionate about what they're making. So they love sharing those stories and sharing their passion with people. So. Good. Well, Michael, I can't thank you enough for sharing your experiences, your expertise. This is a side of the industry that when I'm talking to a student and I say wine industry, they're thinking wine educator, sommelier, maybe a sales rep. They don't necessarily think of the back of the house, which is kind of what I refer to operations as. But having had some experience with knowing people who work back of the house, that can be a pretty exciting part of the industry too. And the good thing is, like we pointed out, You don't necessarily have to come into it with specific wine skills. So it's always something good for people, even IT. If you're an IT person, you don't have to be a wine IT person to get in the wine industry, right? We need IT people. So anyway, I really want to thank you for all the planning we did to create the podcast and for being such a great guest and giving our listeners so much insight into your world. Yeah, and thank you as well, Karen. It's a great opportunity to talk about what I do and what I love to do and really appreciate it. Yep. And for those who are interested to learn more about Distinguished Wine and Vintners Partners, no. Distinguished Vineyards, Vineyards and, and Wine, wine Partners. partners. Yeah. Sorry. Where can they find more information? What's your website? They can look up any one of the wineries that I mentioned, Markham, Argyle, Macrosty, or they can just look up Distinguished Vineyards. Perfect. 
Very good. Yeah. And you, I'm assuming you have a job board there like most other companies do, I would guess. I, that I didn't check. That's a good place to start. Yes. Yeah, we do. Well, thank you, Michael, so much. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad to have met you. I have a new friend in the wine industry. <laughs> All right. Me too. Thanks, Karen. Very good. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thanks so much for joining me today on Wine, Work, and Passion. I hope our show has inspired you to follow your passion for wine and find a job in our dynamic industry. Our goal is to make this podcast all about you, so we'd love to hear your suggestions for wine job-related guests or topics. You can submit your ideas by emailing us at wwp at napavalleywineacademy.com. As always, if you enjoyed the program, we'd appreciate a good review on iTunes. And feel free to share wine work and passion with anyone that could benefit from it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again next time.